Matthew chapter 5, as we continue on in the, the beginning of the Sermon on Mount, and we're walking through the Beatitudes, uh, the first few verses. Beatitudes being um, a blessedness, a blessing that Jesus is um, proclaiming. Uh, it's a blessing in the context of the kingdom of heaven. It is a blessing uh, for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. These Beatitudes, they're not a laundry list of what you must do in order to get into the kingdom of heaven, but is uh, the characteristics of someone who is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Um, so there, I want to say it was in the 70s, there was a, a theologian slash philosopher by the name of Francis Schaeffer. Um, he's a really, really, really bright guy. Kind of hard for me to read his stuff. Um, but he wrote a book in the 70s, I believe. And it was a book that considered the past. Considered the history of the world. It considered the history of our culture. All in the light of the truths of Scripture and the reality of God. And he titled the book, How Should We Then Live? And so, with the Beatitudes, looking at blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, we've considered the condition of mankind, the poverty of who we are before the Lord. We've considered the sadness of our sin in our lives and in the world. But we see and we've seen what God has done to deal with our sin condition and our mourning of our sin. He made Him, God made Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, in order that we might become the righteousness of God. In a parallel version, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sake He became poor, our sake, us poor and needy folk. So that, by His poverty, we might become rich. So, the question we ask is the same question that Francis Schaeffer asked in the 70s. How should we then live in the light of our understanding of the first Beatitudes and our understanding of what Christ has done for us? And this is where meekness comes into play. Look at verse 5 of chapter 5 in Matthew. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask that in these moments to follow, that we would be guided by the Spirit of God. That we would be enlightened within our hearts of the truth of your word, of the reality of who you are 
and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and what you have called us to be and to do. And we give thanks that it is by the blood of Christ that we have received this calling. In Jesus' name, amen. So, meekness. A couple things I want to do. What is it? And living it. What is it? And living it. And then after that, I want us to look at the last part of this beatitude, the inheritance. Um, I want to think that this beatitude is like the hinge from the first two that connects it to the last few. So the first two looks more at our condition. And then you look at the next few after meek. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, those who are reviled and persecuted by evil ones. So it's as if this meekness is the hinge from our condition to our action, right? So in, what is meekness? What does is, what is meek mean? Well, and I'll just let you know, as I've been going through all this, I've realized that Jesus isn't making anything up here. He's really just quoting David in the Psalms. In Psalm 30, it's, 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 it's beautiful to see that the word of God, that, that the characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven aren't just made up here, but they are all throughout scripture. Jesus is quoting Psalm 37 in most of these. And we can see, we'll look at that at the end of our time together. But so what is meek? What does it mean? Well, in the Old Testament, when you see David speaking of it in the Psalms, it does kind of give us more of a picture of a condition. The meek are more represented as the poor, the humble, as opposed to those who have and not, that might be arrogant and proud. That is sort of the image you get when that Hebrew word in the Old Testament is used, meek. But the Greek word that we have in the New Testament that Jesus speaks and we see throughout the New Testament, has not, doesn't really look at the condition, but yet the um, behavior. Uh, so it would more refer to gentleness, kindness, as we talked about this morning, patience, submissiveness. So it is more of a behavior. And so I think it's really a beautiful thing when you take those two things and bring them together. The idea of the meek are in a poor condition, as we've seen. But also, based upon that poor condition, live this way. And most important, the meek, it's not just how they live, but how they live and interact with the world around them and other people, not just how they live their life, but their interactions with other people. But we bring it together as we consider the context of the kingdom of God. A meek citizen of the kingdom of God knows their condition, 
as we've harped on for the last three weeks. Being poor in spirit, unrighteous before God, and like a poor person truly is, dependent upon what God has done for him through Jesus Christ for eternal life. Remember, the poor person depends upon someone in order that they might live the next day. A meek person, a meek citizen of the kingdom of God, looks in the mirror and mourns and sees their unrighteousness. But then they can turn and look at Christ and see the undeserving mercy and grace of Christ Jesus our Lord. And they look at that and they are amazed. So that is something we cannot forget. The meek look at their condition. They look at Christ and they are amazed. You know the song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wonderful person like me. No, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazed. In that amazement, in that amazement, they live as li- they live life that reflects what God has done for them. A meek citizen of the kingdom of heaven lives a life of gentleness, humility, patience towards all, friends and enemies, sinners and saints, those who love them, those who hate them, and are submissive to authority. So as we walk through this, I want you to see that the foundation of a meek citizen of the kingdom of heaven, their foundation is the work of Christ towards them. That is the foundation of all meekness in the kingdom of God. So now we move from what is it to living it, all right? From what is it to living it? I want to give you a biblical illustration. Actually, I think I have two. Two biblical illustrations and then the command that we find to live meek in this world. So turn with me to Psalm, not Psalm, sorry, 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. Um, what's happening in 1 Samuel 24 leading up? Uh, David has been anointed by God as king of Israel. The problem is, is there's already a king of Israel in Saul. Um David is having immense success as a warrior, as a, a military leader, and Saul hates him. Saul has tried to kill him multiple times. Saul has pushed him, made him an exile, an enemy of Israel, and has put him put David on the run. David's hiding in caves and mountains. He's in fear of his life by King Saul. This is where we pick up in Saul in 1 Samuel 24. Starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the first 7 verses and then I'm going to tell I'm going to skip forward and I'm going to tell you where I'm going in the rest of the chapter. Verse 124. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, "Behold, David is in the wilderness wilderness of in uh, Engedi, 
when Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said, they got him. He's like, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as you shall seem good to you. Now, let me stop here. God has promised to David that he would be king. They're not, they're not wrong that God has come to David to make him king of Israel and that Saul would be removed from his throne. They're not wrong in that. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David pursued him. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way, unknowing of what had just happened. Now, this is just when we here's the problem with trying to wrangle meekness. It's not just one category in how you should live. It affects so many different situations, scenarios, and the types of people you deal with and how you're dealing with them. It even goes into our dealing with authority. So it's, you just can't say, oh, this is meekness and exactly how it should be. I shouldn't hurt people who are in authority. That is one way of being meek, but just one of many. But it is the attitude of what we're about to read in the rest of this chapter that sticks with meekness, that is the spirit of meekness. Now listen carefully. Let's jump to verse 11. Mind you, David has walked out of the cave to Saul and said, Hey, Saul. And then he says this, See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or reason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though, my hunt, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. So, let's stop for a second. The spirit of meekness says... You do me harm, I don't repay evil with evil. Meekness says, you do something wrong, I am not the one to bring about justice. I am not the one to judge with your life. God is the judge. God will have justice. Um... Verse 13, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked 
comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. Verse 15. May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you. David knows. David knows who is innocent, who is guilty, who has done the wrong, who hasn't. He knows and see to it and plead my case and deliver me from your hand. Now look at 17. Now we have Saul speaking to David. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. The meek are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness does not bring about meekness. But the imputed, given righteousness of Christ to you through faith is what brings about meekness. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Verse 19. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? Notice the question mark. Like, that's crazy to Saul. It's crazy. That's why he asked the question. But he knows the answer because he says, So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. But notice the reward is not immediate. The reward is not today. So this is already pointing to and understanding that the meekness, the attitude, the way we behave isn't based on the reward that we are looking to receive today, but that which we shall inherit on the day to come. Now you think, let's, let's go ahead and turn to Titus. And as you turn to Titus chapter 3, we read it already, I want to go ahead and remind you of the parable of the unforgiving servant. Now, let me wait on that. We'll wait on that. Let's turn to Titus 3. So, the, the illustration of David is a biblical illustration of meekness. One biblical illustration of meekness. But now I want us to see the command from God through Paul to Titus, who is an elder of a, a local assembly for, the, for him to communicate this message to his church. Chapter 3, verse 1. God, through Paul, to Titus, to tell his people. Remind them. So you wanna, you're like, Luke, tell me how to be meek. What does it look like? This is going to tell you what it looks like, okay? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient and to be ready for every good work. So submissive to rules and authorities. Let's, let's establish something here. The Bible lays out the rule. R-U-L-E. This is what you should do. The rule. Now, what normally happens is there are on occasions, except exceptions to a rule. 
And biblically, we can make that case. But here's what we have to be careful of. That we don't live our lives always looking for the exception. We stand on the rule. And then we seek the Lord and His wisdom to know when the exception has come. You can look through history, through the history, the, the prophets, and then the church, and, and the martyrs that go throughout. They lived their life on the rule to be submissive to authority. Even when authority was acting crazy. But there are times, hence martyrdom, where they were not submissive to the rule and authority. So when should I not be submissive to rule or authority? I'm not going to sit here and list out a bunch of examples because I could not infallibly give you all the times that you should step out out of submission to rule and authority, but I want to give you a guide. If the rule and authority tells you to do something that God tells you not to do, do not submit. If the rule and authority tells you not to do something that God has told you to do, do not submit. Now, there are tons and tons of ways that you could get lost in that. But I want to tell you not to get lost in it. To submit to the rule that the Lord has given. And when the time for the exception to disobey the rules and authorities of this world, the Holy Spirit will awaken your heart and your mind to know that. And you better take that thought captive, that, that every spirit, and test it by the Word of God. And maybe it might lead to martyrdom. I want to tell you, if you're not ready to die for it, it might not be something you want to get behind. We want to get behind the Word of God, God Himself, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Stick to the rule. Seek the Lord. And when the time for the exception ever comes, let Him lead you there by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. Uh, okay, keep going. Verse 2. Notice to what degree and to whom all this applies to. God, again, God to Paul, to Titus, to the church. To speak evil of no one. To speak evil of no one in the church. No. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To avoid it. Walk away from it. Don't entertain it. Don't engage it. To be gentle. To be gentle. Now that is against most of how we want to raise men. But what we must understand is that to raise a strong man in the Lord is not to raise him as rough and tough, but to raise him as gentle as his Lord Jesus Christ is gentle. Look to Christ. Christ. 
He's not weak, but strong. Be gentle. And probably the toughest one here, to show perfect courtesy. Perfect courtesy toward all people. That's a lot of absolutes and superlatives. Perfect courtesy to all people? Man, this is meekness. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to follow the behaviors of Jesus Christ. I want us to notice something in the next verse. I think Paul's doing two things as he says this. He's one, he's helping them understand to exactly who are all people. But he's also reminding them that you used to be a part of all of those people. Look what he says in verse 3. Okay, so he ends 2 in saying, be perfectly courteous towards all people. Now I want you to know, he says in verse 4, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So if someone wanted to come to Titus and say, okay, who again am I supposed to be perfectly courteous towards? He can say the foolish, the disobedient, those who are led astray by passions, those who are uh, malicious against you, those who are envious of you, those who hate you. And, he, and then they're like, well, Titus, come on. And he goes, that used to be you. It's tough. <clears throat> towards all people. You know, you, you do that with your kids, right? Especially if you've had multiple kids and the girls are always frustrated with Shep. And I'm like, he's three. You remember when you were three? No, you don't. But you did the same thing. Be patient with Shep. Be gentle with him. He's got a lot to learn. You used to not know that too. That's what Paul is telling Titus to tell the church. But again, we look at why in verse 4. We look at the foundation we look at the reason. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared. Remember, you used to be this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our, our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by, his, by us in righteousness. No, you used to be foolish, disobedient, slaves to passions and pleasures, mal, uh, malicious, envious, and hatred towards others. But He saved us according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You were made new. You were washed clean of your sin. And you were made new by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. This is the basis of our meekness. Now, I, want to, I have to say this, and I want, I want us to, to think through this just for a second. Uh, we're going to go a little long today, and I'm sorry. 
Some of you may be thinking of some times where Jesus did not act so meek. He walked into the temple, flipped over tables, threw money everywhere, took a whip of cords, and drove out the people and the animals out of the temple. Well, that doesn't sound very meek to me. He said some pretty harsh things to some people, calling them garbage inside, saying that they were whitewashed tombs, just dead, full of empty bones, saying, woe to them, you hypocrite. Time and time again, Jesus acted a few instances where it did not seem so meek. A couple things. I challenge you to walk into a church, flip over tables, whip people out of the building, and not sin. You can't do it. You can't do it. Jesus walked into that temple a righteous man with a righteous indignation for the the house of his father. And he walked in angry and rough and tough, but without sin. So when you feel this righteous indignation that you want to call it welling up in your bones, Stop and pray. Cleanse this anger from me, Lord. Not not take this anger, but cleanse this anger of me, Lord. Make it righteous and make me act as you have called me to act. We don't want to take all actions and behaviors of a perfect person the Son of God, and say, because He did it, I can do it. Because the Son of God did it, I have the permission and right to do it too. If you can do it without sin, by all means. But that does not mean we aren't angry. That does not mean we do not get upset in righteousness. But I want to point out of those examples that you will find in Scripture of Jesus being angry, Jesus being rough, it is towards the religious hypocrites. It is towards the religious heresy. Walk through the Gospels and find an interaction Jesus has with a sinner like a a tax collector, or a prostitute, find one instant where he is not meek, where he is not gentle, where he is not uh, courtes- uh, he does not show courtesy, and that he is not patient. Now, it does not change his stance on who they are and what they are doing. His words to them are, sin no more. He reserves his righteous anger towards those who are leading people falsely in God. Those who are misleading God's sheep. Those who are those are the ones who churn up the anger of Christ. For a little homework, go and read 1 Corinthians 5 this week. I believe it's 5. Yes. And see 
Paul takes this up and says, maybe our eyes should not be on judging those outside the church. He says, I told you not to uh, uh, fellowship with sexual and moral people, but I meant in the church, not outside the church. If you are not fellowship with the sexual and moral outside the church, well, then you ain't going to be talking to nobody. Guard the church. Judge one another. We must, if we, if we have our backs together to be looking outwardly as the church, what are we going to see? The one behind us who's supposed to be with us who turns around and starts playing in sin? No. We are to be looking at one another. The world will be the world. And that's why Jesus could walk to a, a prostitute and be gentle. You cannot expect someone without the Holy Spirit to act in righteousness. Be patient. But we should be tough on one another in love for the sake of repentance, for the sake of the glory of God. Go and read the parable of the unforgiving servant and see the basis of what the king expected of the servant whom he forgave much. I'll have to leave that there this morning. So quickly, I want to transition as we close to the last part of the beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For they shall inherit the earth. A few words that come to my mind as I thought about that this, this last week. Faith, hope, value, patience, and long-suffering. So I'm going to put these two together for the sake of time. Faith and hope. Imagine, perfect, it's raining outside. Okay, imagine that the rain is the wickedness of the world towards you. The unrighteous and their evilness towards you. Their sharp, uh, scoffing words towards you. It's the rain. You need a roof to cover you from that rain. That is meekness. And that roof is built on the foundation of Christ's love for you. And that which holds the roof up, that meekness roof that protects you from the scoffers, from those who mock you, from those who criticize you, from the world of wickedness, the thing that holds the meekness up on the foundation of the love of Christ towards you is faith in the promise that you have an inheritance. Faith that God will deliver to you what He promises to deliver to you. Like David, did not, had to, did not have to act against the wickedness of Saul because he had faith that God would do what he said he would do. And the other pillar that holds up the roof of meekness on the foundation of the, the work and the love of Christ is hope. Day by day as you live in this world and they come at you, and they will, and they do. You have the hope of that promise. You have the hope that you will not just inherit a kingdom, that you will not just inherit the earth, 
But as it says multiple times in the New Testament, you will reign with Him on earth. The hope of what is to come gives you what it takes when the wickedness and the backbiting and the fighting and the words come at you. When you want to rail your teeth up and go back at them, you stop. And you remember that the meek shall inherit the earth. Faith and hope on the foundation of the work of Christ. Now, quickly, if you do not value that inheritance, that faith and hope will knock down that house. Your faith and hope does nothing if you do not value the inheritance that, has, that you have been given. Which means you have no value of God. We must value God and His kingdom supremely above all things. Because if you don't, you will not live meek in this world. You will be tense and tight and fight and, and, and react. You know, we were coming back from Bologna. If you've come, I was at 64, 62, whatever that road is, there's a, there are some steep hills. And I had the cruise control on. And, you know, you get going down in a, in a, on a hill on a cruise control, you're looking like, okay, I think it's supposed to automatically break so we don't go so fast. Is it? I, and I was in actually a new vehicle. I'd never really dri- driven a lot. So I'm sitting here. We're going down these. And, I'm, you know, it's a pretty good fall off. And so we're going, and I've got it set for like 60, but I've got my foot on that, like, this far from the brake, and I'm just, I'm ready. I'm like, okay, is it going to, and then I'll hit it, and I'll turn that cruise control off, and, and so I'm, I cannot, it, it was very unpleasant. If you live this world, live in this world, not reliant on what Christ has done for you, and that he will give you an inheritance, you are going to be driving through this world just like, I don't know if I should break or not, and then when you get to something, you're going to hit it, and you're going to bite back. You're going to respond in anger. You're not, going to, you're not going to trust in the promises that He's got it under control. Because you're fearful of that cliff. You're fearful of that, that that car is not going to take care of you. That cruise control is not going to do its job. Don't be fearful when you're in the world and you see the danger. You see the wickedness. You see the evil and it's coming at you. Don't be fearful that it's going to hurt you. Trust in the, in, the, in the Lord Jesus. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Trust in what you have received through in Christ. And you can relax. You can relax. Think about Abraham. I'm not going to read it. Abraham was told to go to this land out of this other place that he was living. To leave his family. To leave what he knew. And to go to a land... Uh, Flowing with milk and honey. Abraham wasn't, he wasn't looking towards Canaan. He got to Canaan. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham was looking to the city, the land built with its foundations by God. So when you are in this world, remember I can calm down. I can be meek. I can be gentle. I can be patient. 
This is not my end. This is not my home. But I am awaiting the inheritance of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, I can live a life of gentleness, patience, kindness, and submission. Because one day I will reign and rule with Christ Jesus. Not on this earth per se, but an earth made new. And that only comes through trusting in Christ and who He is. Remembering, acknowledging your spiritual poverty. The fact that you are unrighteous before God. And Christ Jesus came, died on the cross, that you might be rich. Trust in Christ today. Repent of your sins. Be baptized and tell of what Christ has done. Let's pray. Lord God, we... There are no words. But by the mercies of who you are and what you've done, we ask that you would mold us, shape us, fashion us for your glory. Transform our lives to reflect the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. For your sake and for your glory, amen.